I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons. It's an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Coastal Week here on the pod. Uh, happy what we got this week. I feel like baseball, uh, baseball season's uh, over. Yeah, but well, we said that last week. It's it's now very over. It's 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 finished <laughs> twice. Uh, happy uh, some some decent recruiting news. Happy Kadir Copeland week. Obviously, that happened pretty soon after we recorded last week, so. A little dated, but we'll get into it. Um, yeah, overall, just a happy, happy, uh, just general, general vibes week, I guess. Hopefully, everyone yeah. is staying nice and cool. Uh, I know out here it's pretty sweltering, or it has yeah, been. It's so it's better today. It's pretty warm on this side of the country as well. Um, as it, as one knows, the planet's on fire, so it's only fair that everyone gets the warmth. Um, we get uh, we get closer and closer here to uh, college football season, though, Dan and. Um, Next week, we're going to figure out timing, but we will have our, our Syracuse football season preview. It's our annual, um, you know, big episode. Where we really dive into everything. Um, but this is kind of our, our coastal preview this week. And I think a lot of folks are very anxious, very nervous about the upcoming Syracuse football season. I think you and I would be included in that group um, of just people that don't really know what to expect, but also know that if we don't hit certain marks, there's going to have to be changes, whether we like it or not. Yeah, no, I think it's it's pretty fair to say we we you know we'll obviously dive into it a lot next week, but um, while like we're we're kind of almost in like a second Babers rebuild here, um, he also deserves like obviously there have been things that have gone on beyond his control, but also and and last year was just you know every possible bad thing that could happen both in the world and also for Syracuse football aside from the fact that we didn't miss any games um, happened <laughs> so. Like there are things that have gone on that like he really couldn't have helped, and then there are also like the realities of how pressure filled that position is at any school, including Syracuse. Even if we're not like 
the biggest football power in the world. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's going to be uh, you know I don't I don't know that it's like sits wins and a bowl or bust, but I think we're like in that territory at least. Uh, so uh, today we talk about a conference or a division that we kind of wish we were in because we probably get to sits wins more often. Indeed, uh, we'll get to that shortly. I uh, did want to talk about a couple Syracuse related topics first. Um, in particular, we mentioned football, so we'll stay there. Um, Landon Morris, a 2021 uh, signee at the tight end position. He was here back in January, um, so he's been on campus for a while. Um, he has entered the transfer portal. I know he also posted some video from practice uh, where he was looking pretty good um, against other against members of the Syracuse defense. Um, in general, you know, we, we've brought in a lot of, like, you know, just – big guys at the tight end position in recent years. Morris seemed like, you know, a really physical player who had a lot of pass catching ability. And um, he hasn't said as much, but it would certainly seem that um, he's a little frustrated with, you know, maybe not moving up the depth chart a little bit faster. Um, and, and, and perhaps the, uh, the overall offensive approach, not necessarily emphasizing uh, tight ends, something that should be, you know, has been frustrating for, for SU fans in recent years, especially since Sterling Gilbert took over um, and would be even more frustrating now when it would seem that we have the personnel for um, at least, you know, utilizing one tight end, if not two. Um, but instead we're, we're, we're just drifting more and more towards what would, would could be, you know, blocking centric roles for these guys, um, which doesn't lend a lot of hope to me anyway. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because we've had like such high hopes for the tight end position. And I think we've had pretty talented players there and continue to have pretty talented players there. Um, obviously, we brought in uh, Luke Benson, uh, who I think we're both big fans of. He has huge mid playability, which he's shown and, and seems like a guy who should be a big part of the offense. Um, we've brought in other kind of interesting players like Max Mang and Steve Mahar. And they all project to be like those kind of two-way tight ends um, that can do both, that can block and also catch passes. Um, and it seems, I think it's going to be really hard to continue to recruit the position. Well, if you're not going to give guys a chance to be part of the offense beyond just being an extra blocker, like you, that, you know, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But, um, I just think there's, there's much more potential there, especially with what we've seen from teams at the college and the NFL level who have had such success, um, really drawing up interesting stuff with two tight end sets. And also like the fact that our offensive line has been such a struggle, you'd think there'd be something to like, let's get some talented tight ends here who can do both. But, um, you know, you're going to get the best talented, the, the, the best talents there. If you aren't just using them as pure blockers, even if they, ha- that is a strength. So yeah, it's just not a, not a great sign that, that Morris, um, you know, saw what the offense looked like and, and called it, uh, you know, made a decision this early on in his career. Um, hopefully it's just an isolated thing. Maybe there was more to it, but he seemed pretty clear on what the decision was. Um, so I guess we'll see. It's, it's definitely not a, not super welcome news. It's not like the end of the world. It's one, it's one, you know, pretty, you know, decently rated, but not like otherworldly recruit. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, you don't want to lose guys at this point in the year. It's just not a, it's just not like a super, uh, inspiring moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying not to read too far into it. Like realistically, I didn't think Sterling Gilbert deserved a second year. I know that there were COVID concerns and and a lot of other hurdles and challenges in terms of installing the offense last year. But at the same time, like that offense was putrid um, last year. And, and, and I don't necessarily think that you can defend keeping him around given what we saw, but the fact of the matter is that he was. So in that case, um, 
you know, he's, I obviously want him to do well um, because I don't want to watch what I had to watch last year and, and for parts of uh, 2019 as well um, in terms of just a decrepit offense. So hoping that, that this is not indicative of, of, of the offense Gilbert's installing um, and, and, and hopefully it's just, you know, a, a one-off thing and, and, and we can kind of move on from it. Yeah. It, it's, it, I was, I'm kind of with you. Like if they had moved on from Gilbert and just decided to go into a, completely new direction i would have been supportive of that because last year was incredibly hard to watch um at the same time like i kind of got conceptually why they didn't do that it, you know last year was such a, a weird a weird season in so many ways that it's hard to like fully put the blame on anybody just because like no one got like the the normal uh amount of like the normal level of preparation and learning a new offense i know he's comes from the babers tree so it shouldn't be that new but there's still like differences um so yeah it's just uh it, it certainly wasn't the kind of first year you want um and i would have been totally fine if they were like all right well that definitely didn't work so let's <laughs> let's try to bring in someone that isn't from the babers tree that can really bring some new concepts because i know there have been like some kind of whispers i don't know that i buy them but it, it just like i know there have been some that suggest that like the babers stuff is just like was really good five years ago and just isn't quite there i'm not gonna go ahead and say that like babers hasn't learned or, or or adapted at all and that he's just like was a was a you know bright shining star in the sky for like a couple of years at bowling green and then 2018 here and now his his concepts are completely outdated i do think that um we've seen a lot of advancement on defenses uh on the defensive side to schemes like that and um because so many high, higher talent teams are starting to run schemes like that um it kind of takes some of the 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 mystery away from it and, and puts teams uh, in a position where they're seeing it way more often. Um, but that doesn't mean that we need to then roll down the completely other direction and go to like a, you know, run first plotting, you know, give the ball to the fullback offense either. Um, I think, you know, you could, you could maybe argue that would be the new inefficiency, but uh, I still think that we could win with this scheme, but, but just the, the version of it that we saw last year was just not, um, was not making it, was not getting it done. And it, it, I think it was more like on an individual play call thing than it was like the concepts that we use. It just seems like we, you know, Gilbert didn't seem to have a great like grasp of what the offense like looked like at its best, and and stuff was just very confused as it had been in the previous couple of years as well with you know other guys calling the shots and Babers um, having his own hands over it. So um, definitely concerns. I'm willing to give him another year because we don't really have a choice. And like at this point in this in the calendar, like you said, there's no. There's no really upside to rooting against Gilbert because then you're probably looking at a full coaching staff change. And obviously some people may want that, but um, you know, I'd still like Babers to, to get it done here. So yeah, hopefully last year was just like a crazy aberration. I know uh, USF fans probably would say, uh, no, this is what they expected, <laughs> but um, uh, as they were very loud after we made that hire, uh, but it, it's definitely a, a complete prove it year. Like I, I just don't see how that's, that's not the case. Like even if Babers, Held on. If if you went five and seven, odds are one side of the ball is had not like done something well. Like maybe we had like a really good defense uh, again, or like even a better defense than last year, but the offense still wasn't with it. Like then, even if they were survived because of the progress he made, I think you still have to look into changing the offensive coordinators. So um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But it, you know, this this hopefully isn't a sign of like greater issues. But it's hard not to read into it, especially with just at the tight end position what we've seen so far under Gilbert. Yeah, I agree there. And, and, and I know we kind of press for time, so I don't want to dwell too much, but we'll say 
Um, I, I think that it's not that Bayer's approach is, doesn't work anymore. I think it's that it's not novel anymore. Um, uh, would also say the last couple of years, you've seen tempo, uh, decline considerably for Syracuse, especially last year. Um, they were not a fast team at all. Uh, and I think that's part of the issue. I mean, we said this kind of in, in the beginning, this is a pretty basic scheme. There's no playbook, um, like, like actually no playbook, um, like physical one that you're holding. It's, it's, it's all based on speed, creating mismatches with speed. And, and, and keeping defenses off balance. And you saw that, that even when the team wasn't always super efficient, you saw they were keeping teams off balance in 2016, 2017, before getting it together more in 2018. So I, I think that realistically, this is one of those situations where um, if the offense looks more like what we saw the first three seasons, just in terms of tempo alone, um, you, you, you'll, you will see better outcomes. But um, there's, there's definitely some change. I'm just, I'm really hoping that, that we see a different offense, offensive approach um, from what we saw last year, which definitely seemed like it was devoid of a complete understanding of the personnel. Yeah, and it also seemed like, you know, when we, we just got punched in the face so often early in right. early in uh, drives that we, like, I don't think it was like a, a lack of wanting to do up tempo. We just didn't have the chance as we were getting three and outs so often. And like right. tempo, like the one downside of tempo is if you get thrown off of your rhythm and off balance, then you're giving the ball to the other team really often. You're not taking any cl- uh, time off the clock. Um, and you're not able to get any kind of rhythm, and that happened to us over and over and over last year, uh, for one reason, for you know a, a variety of reasons. Offensive line, I think, being a major culprit, but also I, I think Gilbert has to take the blame on a lot of that because sometimes the play calling just seemed like you know someone just going into the NCAA football playbook and just like pressing something at random. It didn't have a, <laughs> a ton of cogency. So you know, hopefully, with a new another year uh, of being with this roster and, and seeing what DeVito and or Schrader have uh, and, and hopefully getting upgrades, both uh, in terms of experience along the offensive line and just coaching, um, we'll, we'll get there. But, you know, it's a, it's a major question entering the season for sure. Agreed, agreed. Uh, one more thing here. Um, I don't think we need to dwell on this. Um, Kadir Copeland uh, committed last week, um, just after we were, well, like a day or so after we recorded the podcast. Um, so didn't want to acknowledge that, did want to acknowledge that this is shaping up to be a pretty decent class for SU um, for 2022. It's also early enough, um, and, and a lot of teams haven't necessarily built out their entire class. SU is probably going to add at least one more guy um, here, and it's a really you know important uh, group for for them. I'll just say that while I'm, I'm happy to see them seemingly like put together a, a quality class, um, I, I would hold off on the parades just yet, if only because I think that this this is like where the team as a baseline is supposed to be uh, from a recruiting standpoint. It's not, it, it's, it's better than, than recent season. Sure. But I, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is some sort of like sea change to, you know, elite national championship levels of recruiting. Like we, we did see at one point again, I, it doesn't mean that these guys can't win a ton of games. Can't mean that they can't go deep in the tournament. We have obviously seen teams uh, with, with lesser recruiting classes go deep in the tournament um, under Jim Beheim, but I, I think, you know, keep, keeping it short here, I would just say that let's let, let, let's avoid the ticker tape parade here <laughs> until we, we see a little bit more, you know, from these guys actually on the court. And, and, and realistically, like, until we see things get back to a, a, an elite level of recruiting, um, and, and, and that just, th- this this is part of the way there, but it's certainly not, you know, certainly, certainly not all the way there just yet. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Like, it's a really nice class so far. I know people are getting very excited about the number five ranking on 24-7. I would just caution everyone that that is very much a numbers game at this point. Um, 
because uh, we have three people in the class. A lot of schools do not have three people in class. If you look, the top seven classes, all of three, um, and then it's a lot of twos, but like the higher average rankings are higher. Um, but you know, when we have two blue chips, that's really good. If this was like, I, I think we'll add another person. So we'll probably finish fairly high. I don't think we'll odds are we won't finish number five unless we have a uh, really surprising fourth commit. But no, I think that this is like a really good, like baseline class that we would come to expect for, from Syracuse, um, back, you know, in the couple of years after we graduated, when we were really riding high, especially in the recruiting world. Um, and if this is like our average class going forward, where it finishes probably like in the 50 to 20 range, I think you'll certainly take that. You throw in the fact that we got like a five-star last year in Benny Williams, and you'll certainly take that. Uh, so hopefully these are things that we continue to like work towards and, and this becomes like more of the norm. And then we can start to raise the level from there uh, versus, uh, you know, what we had had in the last couple of years where it was a lot of uh, second and third options. And, and you, like, we weren't getting uh, the four stars and then a nice, like really Syracuse, uh, but not quite as highly ranked piece as like Copeland, who's not like low, low ranked. I know he's four star in a bunch of sites. He's a three star in 24 seven, but he, he really fits the bill for like what Syracuse looks like. Let's for and it's, it's guards and wings. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm certainly happy with it. I think he's, he looks like a, a real fit. Um, and it's excited to see him and, and, you know, it looks like we're dead starting to guys. I think I'm, I'm kind of excited. It looks like we're starting to guys who, um, aside from Benny, who we all have really high expectations for. And if, if this team is good this year, it'll probably be in large part because Benny's the truth, but we're also starting to mix in some of these like lands, Taylor, uh, Copeland guys, um, you know, who may blow up and be one and dones or two and dones, but also, you know, you could see them being like really quality four-year players. And I think when you get a mix of those two sides of the coin um, is when you start to build like real depth and high-level talent and compete for championships. Clearly agree. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, all right. Now we have a little bit of time here, but Dan, why don't we talk halftime quick with some beer, and then we can move on to a, uh, a kind of not complete speed run of the uh, – Coastal division, but but something near that. Cool, yeah. I had some uh, some fun new stuff this week. Um, was with some friends who brought some stuff down from Vermont that I had not had a chance to try. Uh, the highlight probably from Matt Holly Beer, which I think is super local up there. You, it doesn't sound like they have a very wide distribution. Um, they're the Green Stand IPA, uh, which you know tastes a lot like a New England IPA. It, it's a New England IPA through and through, but really really high level one. So really enjoyed that. Um, also had uh, a pills from uh, KCBC here in New York called El Paradiso, which is really nice, especially uh, outdoors on a hot day. Also had uh, some Conehead uh, from Zero Gravity, also up in Burlington, uh, which is also a, a really nice debt. Uh, had had some pre- I hadn't had Zero Gravity in a couple of years, I think. So, yeah, not a ton of new stuff, but, but definitely some highlights there. Very nice. Um, I was out in Denver for the weekend, so had some Colorado uh local stuff had from Avery at Avery IPA that I hadn't had in a while. It was really good. Uh, from Odell I had 90 shilling, uh, their Amber. That was really good. Um, also had from Lowdown brewery. Uh, I hadn't been there in about like five or six years. Uh, it was one of, the, one of the last times I was in Denver. I had the boxer India red ale, uh, really, really good hoppy Amber from them had uh, upslopes IPA from uh, Weldworks. 
um, in Colorado. I had Juicy Bits, their hazy IPA that was really good. I had a low viz pale ale from Soulcraft. Uh, it's also uh, hazy. And a Road to Nowhere robust porter from Wild Blue Yonder um, down in Castle Rock. That was uh, enjoyable. And that was that was really it. Uh, I mean, I had plenty of other things too, but rather than get into an exhaustive list, I think that's it. That's that's good enough. I'll be out in Denver from all next week, uh, this weekend, and and then all next week. So I'll have plenty to report whenever we're able to record next week, which it will happen. I promise everybody. <laughs> Definitely, uh, I'll send you the whole list. But the uh, Crooked Stave, their uh, sours are, are incredibly good. Yeah, I love everything from Avery. Crooked Stave, I heard, is great. Uh, I know I'm one of my. Brewery Buddies is coming with us, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. Very nice. Um, all right. Coastal time, Dan. Um, I think we should just go into some sort of projected order. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, who do you think is going to win this division, North Carolina or Miami? Um, I think North Carolina. I think quarterback play is super important. Um, I think they have the best quarterback in probably the conference, which is crazy. I, I wouldn't shock me if DJ Uyadale is uh, ends up being the best guy, but you know, UNC has a really good one. Sam Howell, he could end up being the number one pick. Um, so I think they do lose some, you know, impressive players from last year. Their two-headed running back monster is gone. But they're also, like, pretty still pretty early on in this Mac Brown era here. So I expect some some development from them. And I think they will end up being on top. Although I, I don't think – I think this will be a very coastal year. I think you, you'll see a lot of teams in the, like, four to nine win range. I don't know that I'm buying UNC as, like, uh, outside playoff contender. Um, but I do think they have the best quarterback, so I'm going with I'm, I'm going with Howell in the in the heels. Yeah, I mean, really, for for North Carolina, I think it's going to come down to um, a handful of games in the middle. Uh, realistically, like Miami at Notre Dame, you know, maybe that Wake Forest non conference game um, could tell you a hell of a lot about this team. Uh, the schedule's super super favorable, though, admittedly. Um, so I think they can get to nine or ten, um, even if they're not necessarily like as good as advertised. I think this defense is actually going to be really good too. Um, there's just so mu- so much talent back. I mean, Tony Grimes, who some might remember, is like someone that SU really wanted like way back early in his recruitment a couple of years ago, and you know now he's potentially an all-conference um, cornerback. But in general, like uh, this team's just super talented. Sam Howell is is, is just an absolute monster. Um, he's got pretty much his whole offensive line back in front of him, and and I think you're going to see a really impressive campaign from UNC. So they'd be my pick as well. Uh, that said, I, I think the you know Miami Hurricanes are going to be pretty close on their heels. Uh, realistically, the, the the one thing that might just derail them a little bit more uh, could be the schedule. Um, they have to face Carolina, you know, at Chapel Hill. They have to face Alabama in the opener. They've got Michigan State, who could be pesky in September. I, I think realistically, this Miami team is going to be very very good though, uh, with Derek King uh, under center and in general like. Just a very, very, very good defense. Maybe one of the, maybe the best other than Clemson um, in the conference. And and I think that this this roster is just you've seen it get better and better uh, year after year under Manny Diaz, uh, despite some bumps maybe uh, in the beginning. So I, I do think that that they finish really, really well. I just think they're probably like a half step behind North Carolina. Yeah, I think Diaz is like the big question mark for them. Honestly, the roster is really, really talented. Um, they brought in a, a number of, of high high level transfers. They've recruited, you know, not quite like top five, ten level, but like in the maybe probably the the between like eight and fifteen level. Um, they do have Derek King if he can stay healthy. He's coming off an ACL tear, but he was quite good for them last year. 
Um, I know he'll probably get like some Heisman hype because he's a popular player. I don't know that he's he's that level, but I think like I think he's just a really good college quarterback. And if you're Miami, you, it's been a while since you've had a reliable one. Um, so hopefully they can keep him upright. Um, the defense is really scary. Um, they lose a fair bit. Um, obviously they they lost Jalen Phillips last year. Um, they lo- they've lost like a number of uh, Quincy Roche, uh, a number of like high level pass rushers. But um, they've really reloaded well on that side, especially on the front seven. Um, so we'll see. I think uh, I, I I just feel like I, I trust, and this is silly because we were all like dragging the Mac Brown hire a couple years ago. Because <laughs> well, he almost like, hired Greg Robinson. That's true. He did hire Greg Robinson, or he almost did. He hired him in Texas, like at the end of his campaign there, which is all you need to know. And then he uh, he actually fired Manny Diaz before he did that, if I'm remembering correctly, right? I think it was. Sounds familiar. Manny Diaz is the one who got fired after that BYU game where BYU rushed for like 500 something yards, I think, and got replaced by Greg Robinson. So hopefully we'll get a nice like coastal battle. Uh, let me, I'm looking this up uh, real quick because that this like popped back in my head. Yeah, Manny Diaz is fired in 2013 uh, and replaced by Greg Robinson. Um, and now Manny Diaz and his former boss will probably be battling it out for the coastal title. So that's fun. But yeah, I just Diaz just seems like he's a guy who like gets the peripheral stuff done really well, but his in-game game management is a question for me. And I don't know, I'm just not sold on him getting him over the hump. Whereas Mac, like, pretty clearly knew what the issues were going to be with him going back to UNC. He hired really, really good coordinators. His staff is really good. He has everyone bought in. Yeah, and he also he's like won a national championship before. I think like the the end of the Texas tenure really kind of reduces how good he was at Texas for most of the time, and it does seem like he's learned uh, a fair bit from his problems at the end of that. So yeah, I weirdly trust Matt Brown a lot more than Manny Diaz, and I think that is like what ends up coloring it more than anything else for me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, I think in general, like I just I think I trust Hal a little bit more. I think I trust his coach Matt Brown coaching staff a little bit more. Um, and, and I just think that Carolina is just a little bit close. It doesn't mean that Miami's going to be bad. I think Miami can still win nine or 10 games too. Um, I, I just wonder how beaten up they're going to get in game one against Alabama. And UNC having the home game between against Miami is big. Yeah. I, it wouldn't surprise me if they were like, UNC wins 10, Miami wins nine. UNC beats Miami by like two touchdowns and looks like the defendant better team. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, so the rest, uh, I don't think there's any real order to them, um, as you kind of alluded <laughs> nope. to earlier. <laughs> it's very coastally. Yeah. So, so I think I, people have like the Virginias or Pitt. Like that's like the next three in some order. Yeah, I go with Pitt to start. Um, I don't think this is my projected order necessarily. Just figured get around to um, Pat Narduzzi and and his constant, you know, disrespect machine that he tries to get going. Um, <sighs> I also don't. I've said this before in many different ways. Um, I can't remember a single pass Kenny Pickett's ever thrown. The Kenny Pickett hype drives me crazy. He's like, I'm reading, I have Bill C's uh, ESPN Plus preview up, and his like first headline for Pitt is, we're still waiting on the Kenny Pickett breakthrough. It's like, yeah, just as he's here for seven years doesn't mean he's going to have the breakthrough, guys. Like, And it's not talking about Bill. I'm talking about like the college football internet in general, um, who most of whom I love and, and cherish uh, as people I read all the time. But everyone is just like, Kenny Pickett's been here for a while, so he's going to be really good. It's like, no, he's going to be Kenny Pickett. Like, he's he's fine. He'll win you seven games, maybe eight, if you have a, a good roster around him. You're not going to have – he's not going to be a, a top-flight ACC quarterback. I just refuse it. Yeah, I mean, he's put up, like, decent numbers, but he's he's kind of, you know, the type of quarterback. And, and the ACC always has a bunch of these um, guys who, like, put up solid numbers, don't make a ton of mistakes – 
And like, that's probably Pickett. That's fine, really, because if, if you have a, a, an improved, like their run game wasn't great last year, um, but it got a little bit better as the year went on. And now this year, like if, if they can, if they can show this run game is legit and, and if Pickett, you know, has, it seems like he has a better receiving core anyway. Jordan Addison's pretty good. If, if they can find a way to get a more balanced offense, then I think that Pitt could be pretty solid because I think this defense, despite losing some key pieces and up front, I think that that this defense is, is incredibly good. Um, you know, especially in the front seven, where I think they just that they found a way. It took a while, but they've in the last couple of years they've really found a way to be pretty impressive up there um, and, and and be a pretty disruptive team and get after passers and and, and really you know disrupt the run game too. So I, I think for Pitt. You'll probably – this is one of those seasons where, like, Pitt's going to be annoying because Pitt could easily go 5-1 and could easily go four and one or 5-0 and oh to start the season, and that starts out like the Pitt hype train, um, even if undeserving. Uh, and then this is like a little bit of a gauntlet of a schedule in October at Vatech, Clemson, Miami, um, at Duke, which not that much of a test, but then North Carolina. Um, so, yeah, four out of five games against, you know, some of the – potentially more talented teams in the conference. Um, so that five and zero or, or four and one pit start could go off the rails pretty quickly, but this is still probably at least a six and 16, maybe seven and five. Uh, a lot depends though on the rest of that uh, kind of muddled coastal uh, group. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think they'll probably be at least 500. I, I don't expect them to fall off the cliff because they just have so much like, I said, the upside of having picket, like you're kind of, you know, he, he may not win you the big games, but you're probably not going to lose a lot by having him. He's kind of like the, maybe a little better than like replacement level quarterback, uh, which, you know, you'll take a lot of the time. Um, I think the big questions for me, uh, do the, the new defensive end duo of Deslin Alexander and John Morgan, who were quite good last year coming off the bench. Um, will they be as good as they were now that they're starters because losing Patrick Jones and Rashad Weaver to NFL defensive ends is really tough. So um, I think they all four of those guys played well last year, but the fact that you had two like legit stars um, getting after the pass rusher made it a little easier, uh, even when the backups came in, because uh, they were fresh and they were going up against like a pretty brutalized offensive line because of how good Pitt's front was. But if they are, then then Pitt will probably be pretty solid. I, you know, they could win eight games; it wouldn't shock me. Um, I think they're probably more likely like in the sits. I, I would probably put like they're over under at six and a half and, and go from there. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, this is kind of like a, a real put up or shut up year for Justin Fuente. I feel like you've definitely seen the the, the ability of, of Vatek go down considerably since he arrived. Um, it took like a year or two, but you've seen that decline. Uh, I, I think that the recruiting levels have declined. I think you've seen obviously assistant changes um, have happened, and there's definitely not the same uh, cogency that that folks are used to um, at Vatek. And I think that that is a problem. I think too. You know, quarterback play has not really been all that consistent. Braxton Burmeister um, this year probably under center, but then you look at the schedule. Th- th- this is a this is an absolute bear um, for them. E- even if Vatek is better than they were last year, um, and I'm not necessarily buying it, but even if they are, um, you got North Carolina to start the season. You got at West Virginia, then this October stretch: Notre Dame, Pitt, you know, whatever on SU and, and, and Georgia Tech, I guess. But um, at BC, and then you got at Miami, at Virginia to, to end the season, like. Those are a lot of question marks for a Virginia Tech team that, that that probably has like a top, you know, half defense or so in the conference. 
but then uh, still a lot of questions on offense. Yeah, I feel like they've just not been able to get like the kind of consistency that we were so accustomed to with Virginia Tech, and obviously the uh, Fuente uh, tenure really has not gone as uh, as advertised. We were pretty high on that when it happened. He just seemed like I would slide right in and really take a keep the, the momentum going forward with them after Beamer retired. They lost uh, multiple quarterbacks uh, to transfer with Herndon Hooker and Quincy Patterson. So I think it'll be Braxton Burmeister, um, who's been like, okay, uh, you know, can kind of do the dual threat thing, but just big games was not always uh, the the type of guy who's going to win you, uh, you know, win you anything significant. We'll see. Uh, they lose Khalil Herbert, who was quite good for them. They have decent receivers, but overall, like, I, I think their offense um, just seems kind of like Jekyll and Hyde. So I'm I'm not totally sure what the ceiling for them is, um, and it's just you know I I, I kind of wonder what uh, you're gonna see what you're gonna need from Fuente to hang on to the job because he's like we talked about Scott Satterfield last year, uh, a guy who just has like a, seems to have a really tenuous relationship with his with his employer right now. Um, I don't know exactly you know what would have to happen for him to leave on his own accord, but I could well, also wouldn't shock me to see him as like one of those guys who takes a lot of other jobs that might not as be as good as Virginia Tech, but only just to like save himself because it, it does seem like if they, even if they go like six or seven wins, it wouldn't shock me if he was fired. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what his contract situation looks like, but I, I think tech's getting sick of sitting in this kind of uh, middle of the pack um, place for the last few years. And, and, and with all that player turnover and everything else we mentioned, um, this is a, a real crucial year for him. Looking at Georgia tech next, people are starting to think that this is like a breakout year for them. I don't necessarily think we saw the evidence of that last year. They certainly like have progress, you know, under Jeff Collins, but at the same time, like we had to see the pieces really come together um, in, in full. It did seem like they, they started to, to figure some things out in the second half of last year, but still, I mean, you still lost to NC state by 10, you still lost to Pitt by 14. You beat Duke, but I think Duke was just in shambles by that point. I think everyone's really high on Jeff Sims. He's still, you know, a, a quality dual threat. Um, at the quarterback position, and, and, and Jameer Gibbs is somebody who's getting a lot of hype, um, you know, a, a, as a playmaker um, in both the run and passing game a, and on special teams. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see him. Um, this, de- I mean, in general, this team just returns a ton. Uh, there's a lot of guys back on the line. There's a lot of guys back. I mean, just about everybody's back on defense too. And, and for the most part, like, they they might have a schedule that helps, but you still have to travel to Clemson. You still have to face North Carolina. You still have to face Pitt, and that's all before you even get to mid-October. Um, and then Vatek, Miami, BC at Notre Dame, Georgia, like realistically, you need to get to six wins before the end of October if you want to go bowling. And I don't necessarily think they can do it. Yeah, I agree there. I think, you know, a lot of this is going to be on the development of, of Jeff Sims. He we saw, you know, kind of the good and bad from him in our game last year. Um, and there were really moments where he looked like he could break through as like one of the more interesting quarterbacks in the league. But his uh, we also saw that he can throw a lot of interceptions. He's kind of mistake prone. It's it's been you know we expected a big uh, this this kind of long work back from the triple option and I think that's proving to be correct. But I also think Calls has done some nice nice things there. Sims and Gibbs is a nice combo. Um, I, I also think you, you know you could see a pretty decent passing game there. Malachi Carter and uh, Adonica Sanders are pretty solid. But uh, you know maybe this is the year that you get back to a bowl. I don't know that if you're a Georgia Tech fan like that necessarily needs to be like a super disappointing thing if it's not just because of where you were coming from. But Collins is recruiting quite well. Um, I think they've they've been interesting enough and you've kind of they kind of followed like the the pathway 
to what you would want from this rebuild. As long as they don't take like a big backslide, I think you have to be at least pretty happy with your tech fan. The next year, I think, would probably be the, all right, we need to really show that we are on the road to being like a, a coastal contender and make a bowl. But this year, I think, you know, if they, if they win like five games and look pretty competitive, I think you'd probably take that. I know that's tough, uh, tough to sell to another, to another program. And I don't really know how tech fans are feeling right now. Um, it's hard to like set the expectations for year three as like less than a bowl, but I think realistically that's probably like a fair thing to say. Yeah, I mean the schedule is just, is detrimental to it realistically, and having to face Georgia every year and having to face Notre Dame this year in particular, um, along with Clemson every year as well. Like, I mean Georgia and Clemson alone that that's, that's two huge hurdles that, that that put you at zero and two uh, more often than not uh, to start a season. So not ideal for them, but. Uh, I, I think we still see some incremental improvement there and, and potentially set the stage for a better 2022. Last but not least here, uh, Virginia. Bronco Mendenhall's done a decent job uh, with the Hoos in, in, in recent seasons. Uh, you know, they ended up getting to the Orange Bowl a couple of years ago. Um, I wouldn't say it was stolen from Syracuse, but um, <laughs> if the cards had fallen differently, uh, we would have been in the Orange Bowl instead the year before. Um, Virginia is all right on offense. I think there's a lot of questions around the skill positions. Uh, I think that offensive line should be all right. And then defensively, um, the secondary looked pretty rough. There's not a lot of proven entities, um, you know, on on the front, like seven or so. I I just can't say that there's necessarily like a lot to believe in. And this could be like a step back here after, you know, going five and five last season. I think obviously schedule two. Um, you know, at UNC, at Miami, at Wake, at BYU, Notre Dame, got at Pitt and Vot Tech to end the season. Like, that's a tough slate um, j- just for a team that that seems like they're kind of, you know, in the middle of the road right now. Yeah, I mean, it, we'll see what happens with that defense. Is there, the bottom kind of fell out for them last year uh, on that side of the ball after, you know, they lost some some decent players and they, they were coming off of, like, a really nice season. But um, I think it was more disappointing than most people expected. Um, offense still kind of stuck in like the post Bryce Perkins world, which we can, I think, I think there's a weird, like uh kind of symmetry between what we've seen from Syracuse and what we've seen from Virginia. Obviously they've been better than us since 2018. Uh, but like, I think you can kind of draw a line where like, you know, Dungy became the real identity for us on offense. And I think uh, obviously their, their floor is much higher, but you can kind of see a similar thing with the post Perkins world, trying to figure out um, who the, who inherits that job. Finally, I know they have a number of different, like, Kind of interesting guys. Uh, uh, they actually have their own Mississippi State transfer in Keaton uh, T- uh, Thompson. Brennan Armstrong was the guy for most of last year. Um, but yeah, I, I, they just haven't seemed to, to really get back to where where they were when they were like right at the top of the coastal a few years ago. But I also don't think that they've slid enough to where you're like super worried. I think Mendenhall is proven to be a pretty good fit there. Um, so I do think we'll uh, – you know, we'll see them bounce back. Now, I, I just don't know if it'll be right to the top of the Toastal in the next couple of years, but I, I think they'll be kind of floating in that that middle tier where, you know, they're never super uh, super uncomfortable in terms of where they're at. They're just, you know, they're advantages of that school, and, and I think overall Mendenhall will be solid there for a while. Reasonable. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
So Dan, I, I guess how would you how would you rank these teams uh, top to bottom? Quick, don't, don't don't worry about any any validation. I feel like we uh, we kind of got through that already. <laughs> and also Duke, just Duke to the bottom. Oh um, yeah, about, no. So let's, let's, let's give Duke a shot instead of that because I think we've kind of like given that. I completely forgot about Duke. That was my fault. Uh, <laughs> Duke Blue Devils, um, a team that shouldn't have beat Syracuse last year, but did. Um, highly aggravating. We just can't get um, past Chase, Chase Bryce. He's our he's our uh, it's, it's he's 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 uh he's our Donovan McNabb. If you're looking at the yes. Virginia Tech comparison, um, pretty, pretty <laughs> aggravating all around here. Um, but yeah, if you're Duke, uh, recruiting's kind of dropped off a little bit. Quarterbacks become a bit of a revolving door since Daniel Jones left. They'll really just kind of hit full reset this year as they try to figure things out. Um, they do have a decent amount coming back on on offense defensively, like. There wasn't a lot there last year, and I think they return a lot of that this year. So it's it's questionable what the benefit is uh, necessarily. In general, like this was just a rough team last year. They went two and nine uh, this year. I mean, they have a schedule that could potentially set them up for a bit of a bounce back, but still, it's going to be tough for this team again, especially because like I think recruiting's dropped a little bit. Quarterback play has been questionable. Um, there, there's going to be maybe a few too many questions for for the Blue Devils to get back to a bowl game. I think my big question for them: um, what ha- what what needs to happen for Cutcliffe to lose his job? I don't think that, I'm not necessarily like saying he should. I just like wonder what that looks like because I think Duke just they're. It, I think you can prove a lot about Syracuse football, uh, like how passionate people are for Syracuse football when you compare it to Duke football. And I'm sure there are people at Duke, uh, Duke fans who are really upset and like want Cutcliffe gone, but it seems to be a lot fewer than there are Syracuse football fans who are upset at any given moment. Um, so I just wonder if there's like a pathway to him ever not just retiring because like, you know, they've hit like a pretty substantial downslope slope here. Um, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of momentum for like large scale changes. Yeah. I mean, I really don't know who he can bring in at this point. Like he is 66. Um, so he's not like old, old, like incredibly old, but at the same time, like, you know, he's, he's at something like retirement age. I am curious to see if, you know, maybe like if they can get, get back to a ball, if it really looks like the bottom's about to drop out, if it hasn't already, that, that he might just call it quits. Yeah, it's just, I, I don't think they'll ever actually fire him. I could see them kind of pushing him out, though, and doing the like, oh, surprising retirement thing. Um, yeah, I, I think they're just going to be at the bottom of this, this division this year. Um, there's just a lot of big questions. Chase Bryce, aside from beating us, really pretty disappointing last year. Um, disappointing in general, especially because like he looked pretty good when he played at Clemson, but I guess playing at Clemson uh, has its own benefits, even if you're not a superstar quarterback. <laughs> um, yeah. They just have like substantial holes from like a couple of years ago when they were like a locked in bowl team. Um, they haven't recruited quite at the same level as they were uh, just like five years ago when they were bringing, you know, a couple four stars every year. Um, just don't seem to have the roster. The rest of this division does. Uh, and it's not like it's like a super stacked division, but uh, they seem to be a solid step behind everyone else, even Georgia tech as they're finding themselves. I would agree. Um, all right, Dan. So that was the coastal for everyone. Um, hopefully, it was informative. Hopefully, you get a better read on the teams that we almost never see, save Pitt. Uh, and yeah, should be another wacky, uh, wacky and wild season on the other side of the conference. Let's do pods. We want pods. <laughs> we want to play Agreed. these teams. Yeah, I, I, I would love to play Virginia more. Um, the last time the we Virginia were at, game? last time we were at Charlottesville was fun. We lost. Yeah, I mean, the, we lost, but it was a good game. Uh, it was, was almost game. like a kind of a breakthrough game for us. 
I mean, we've had good moments. We beat Virginia Tech, obviously. We crushed Georgia Tech last year, the one bright spot of, of uh, last season, and it was kind of like a nice way to get back at them for uh, 2014. Like, we've had fun moments since these schools, and it, 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 we talk about it all the time. Just changing to a pod system or even just a non-division system, however you want to align it, would make it feel like so much more of a full conference than it does. Um, and also, I just don't want to play Clemson every year. I'm fine playing Clemson every so often and getting, and getting our, our asses whipped, but like, just let's play them as much as we play everyone else is really, really the thing. Well, on that note, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Try News and Absolute Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.